The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you seeking meaning beyond work and consumption? Does it sometimes seem that instead of God, money rules the world and runs your life? Welcome to Faith and Money, Making the Connection with Mike Little. We are exploring the many aspects of our relationship with money within the grounding of our faith, our money beliefs, our sense of security, truly loving our families and making a difference in the world. Now, here is your host, Mike Little. Hello and welcome to Faith and Money, Making the Connection. I'm your host, Mike Little, Director of Faith and Money Network. Many of us, as people of faith, give a portion of our income to help others. Those of us brought up in the church life were probably taught to give away 10% of our income, a tithe. But what about the other 90%? What about the money we don't give away, the money we plan to spend, save for emergencies, or invest for retirement? We may recognize God's claim on all that we are and all that we have, but we still have to pay our rent, send our kids to college, and retire like everyone else, right? Well, this is one of those rare and wonderful both-and situations. The money we don't give away can be used on behalf of God's community, and we can still have it for what we need. Our savings can actively benefit our community and be there when we need it, just by carefully choosing where we bank. Our investments can support our faith values and grow for retirement if we intentionally select where we invest. We can support an economy of enough for all by thoughtfully deciding what and where to buy. Our guests today will expand our vision for the money we don't give away and help us see how easy it can be to put our money to work in the world on behalf of all of God's people and the planet. Andy Loving is a financial advisor to people who work for justice through their finances. A certified financial planner, Andy is the founder of Just Money Advisors, a financial planning and investment advisory firm in Louisville, Kentucky, that specializes in socially responsive and community investing. He believes that how we use money is one of the best indicators of how we understand the faith journey. Welcome, Andy. It's good to be with you, Mike. Andy, we typically think of Christian stewardship as tithing, giving away some percentage of our income to the church. But your work suggests you have a much broader sense of Christian stewardship. Would you explain that for us? Well, most of us in faith communities have been taught about giving money away, but affluent people of faith have only infrequently been encouraged to think about the money we don't give away which for virtually all of us is considerably more money than the money we give away. Stewardship of this money we don't give away is virtually never talked about in our theology of stewardship or in our churches. God's claim on us is on all of who we are and all that we possess. 
as stewards of God's money and resources in the context of a wealthy church and a wealthy society, we must struggle with how we might put all of our assets, not just 10%, to work as instruments of God's justice in a world of extreme inequality. We couple this reality with the fact that Jesus lived with a preferential option for the poor. If we look to the New Testament, Jesus had more to say about the poor and how we use our money on their behalf than anything else in the New Testament except his overarching theme of God's realm. So as affluent Christians, that implores us to spend a lot more time and energy considering what our responsibility is for the money we don't give away. That's why I've spent the past 20 years as a financial advisor for people with excess capital and concern about the great inequality in our nation and our world to try and respond to Jesus' clear emphasis on money and the poor. When we invest, spend, bank, we're handing over a measure of power that goes with that money. How can we use that power to empower the poor, the oppressed, and forgotten people? People who are typically shut out of our economy and access to capital. There are some very specific and good ways to do that. Well, what do you mean by our money having a measure of power? When we walk into a bank or a credit union or a brokerage firm to make a deposit or make an investment, we're handing over to that institution a measure of power because that institution will decide how our money really God's money, our measure of power will be used. Most traditional financial institutions rarely hand over any of that power, that capital, to the poor or to institutions which serve the poor. Their primary emphasis is on maximizing profit, which means that the capital flows to the rich, who in turn become richer. Somebody is using our money. Why give our power to the big banks when with some thought and intention we can give our little or not so little measure of power to financial institutions that make our capital available in low-income communities where we stand with the poor, as Jesus so often did? We have to take back our measure of power from institutions and investments that don't reflect our values and God's values to find institutions, investments, banks, and credit unions, and do, that do, mm-hmm. and give them that power. Do you have an example of how this works? I do. Um, I know a small inner city church of only about 60 people who decided to join together and see what they could do with their little measures of power. Now, this church only has annual giving of about $60,000 and thinks of itself as a poor church. So they're, they're in our eyes, a little church. They decided to deposit a portion of their savings accounts and emergency funds into an international Christian fund for the poor that provides capital to small microfinance banks that then move that money on to organizations that make very small loans to very poor people. Microfinance loans, as they're called, can be as small as $50, but those kind of loans make it possible, for example, for a person to rent a stall to sell their excess vegetables at a village market. And that can end up doubling their family income. The little church I talked about started making deposits into this fund. And over a year's period, the deposits grew to about $180,000. Wow. 
Now, that is three times the member's annual giving. Since then, people have taken their money out for college tuition, to pay bills, and for all the things that happen in life, but much of that money remains in the fund for the poor. The money those church members did not give away has over the years provided more than 5,000 loans to people that were empowered to change their own lives and that of their families. The church folk never thought of this money as money that could do justice, but they found out it could. This story could happen in thousands of congregations if they would take back their measures of power and choose wisely. We may think we have little power, but together... As the body of Christ, we have enormous power. That's a terrific story. I'm guessing they, the little church you mentioned feels really good about that and, and glad they made that decision. I think they are. Yeah, yeah. Andy, you mentioned that the power we use by choosing our bank, uh, why does it matter where we bank? It matters as an example because Back in the 2008-2009 Great Recession, the greed of big banks almost collapsed our economy. Those big banks had leveraged themselves to the hilt with the only real object being to maximize profits. Their capital was not working for the majority of Americans, but for their own profits. And since that crisis, the same banks have amassed more and more assets And the pressure to maximize profits, which remains, and to do it at any cost, remains and may say that these banks, and many, I'm sorry, many say these banks are still time bombs ticking, waiting for the next crisis. Now contrast that, those mega banks with a small bank like City First of D.C., a small community development bank in the heart of Washington, D.C., whose main purpose is to serve the working class and low-income neighborhoods of the District of Columbia. They make small business loans, home mortgage loans, loans to community nonprofits. And yes, they still want and need to make a profit, but their mission is to serve their community. I will never forget seeing a color map of the locations of where City First made loans. The District of Columbia, as you know, Mike, is split by 16th Street, which runs north and south through the heart of the district. Now, west of 16th Street are overwhelmingly high-income neighborhoods, and east of 16th Street are mostly lower-income neighborhoods. Now, the red dots on City First Map indicated where loans were made, and about 95% of the dots were east of 16th Street in low- and working-class neighborhoods. So deposits in City First of D.C., Put your money on the side of the poor. And as Christians, that's what we're called to be about. There are banks focused on their local communities in in many locales, most locales. You may have to dig a little, ask questions, and do some research on the web. Online banking makes location irrelevant, and there are several excellent online banks and credit unions where you can put chunks of your money. So it's possible for almost all of us to use our deposits to stand with low-income communities. But what if someone likes, you know, they like their bank. They may know the local teller. Their parents went there, and it's convenient to get cash, you know, because it's close to work or whatever. Isn't that enough? 
No, it really isn't enough. I know there are many fine people who are tellers and managers in banks. But where we put our measure of power is too important. We have to ask also where our church banks and make sure we don't make that decision based on what bank is convenient for the church treasurer. The relevant question is what bank or credit union has branches in the poor and working class sections of our town or city? Which bank or credit union makes a point to provide financial services to poor and working class folks? Hmm. Uh, Andy, I know you are an ordained minister and even ran a large soup kitchen for an urban church for a few years. And How did you get into the financial industry? That seems like a big leap from ministry. Well, a lot of my friends thought so too, Mike, but I don't see it that way at all. As a younger adult, I co-founded a ministry and magazine called Seeds that educated and advocated among churches on hunger and economic justice. I worked on issues like corporations inappropriately marketing powdered infant formula in areas of the third world that did not have ready access to clean water. As a result of that, only profits matter attitude. Children suffered and died. I learned about big corporate agriculture influencing government agricultural policy that favored them over family farmers. And our soil quality continued to decline because of the profit-maximizing, industrialized agriculture that has dominated our food production for decades. I served on the board of Bread for the World and lobbied our Congress on behalf of poor and hungry people. During those years, I worked hard to organize and educate people to create change in our world. And I'm proud of those years and feel like we saw some change by organizing people. But in the 1980s, I noticed how organizing economic boycotts and our divestment campaign against the apartheid government of South Africa engendered change and ultimately helped in a major way to see the end to apartheid. This campaign was an example of how organized money could actually create social change. So in the early 1990s, when social investing began to take off, I was drawn to this idea of organizing money for social change. I learned that I could probably make a living by focusing exclusively on helping people who wanted their investments to reflect their religious and moral values. And so I began my own financial advising firm that specialized in this new social investing thing, and to see if it was possible to organize money like I had organized people for the same purpose, justice for all of God's children, justice for our planet. And I've been working at it now for over 20 years. Wow, that's a, an amazing, amazing story. Andy, uh, how, tell us how can our investments be used to serve God's economy? Even using our money that's invested in traditional stocks and bonds, we can support those companies and those things that reflect our moral and religious values. This kind of investing is called socially responsible investing or or just social investing. And it's become more and more popular, but still many folks don't know about it. Sometimes in social investing, we try to avoid companies that don't reflect who we are as Christians. So if we believe and are, that we're peacemakers, we don't invest in major defense contractors who profit from wars and the continual preparation for war. 
If we seriously care about our responsibility for environmental stewardship, we might avoid companies who have a history of polluting the environment. And on a more positive note, we might invest in companies that pay good wages, provide great benefits, and proactively hire and promote women and minorities and gay and lesbian folk. The amount of information available to evaluate companies to do these things, their social records has grown tremendously over the last 40 years, making those positive and negative screens I talked about very sophisticated. Hmm. Hey, uh, folks, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, we're talking with Andy Loving of Just Money Advisors. So stay with us. We'll be right back. some of the greatest minds in the world and that includes you visit us on facebook at voice america empowerment follow the voice america talk radio network on twitter we're at voice america trn you'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows this week's featured guests and general happenings that you should know about at the voice america talk radio network now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office just go to twitter.com forward slash voice america trn or follow along with us at voice america trn the voice america talk radio network we're on the cutting edge of social media can you keep up Want the inside scoop about what's going on in the social networks of art and entertainment? Tune in to Star Power Hour, brought to you by 4talent.com. We'll talk to the top professionals in the entertainment industry and find out what they're working on and what's next. Your host is James Barber, who has his finger on the pulse of the arts and entertainment world. Star Power Hour, brought to you by 4talent.com, live every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This is the home of the top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success drivers. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to Faith and Money, Making the Connection with Mike Little. To find out more about us, please visit our website at faithandmoneynetwork.org. That's faithandmoneynetwork.org. Now back to Mike Little and this week's show. So, uh, Andy, those investments that you're talking about are in companies, correct? Is there a way to invest that supports low-income communities more directly? Yes, and that part of community investing is called that part of social investing is called community investing. These investments focus on making capital available to poor people and poor communities who have historically been underserved by traditional financial institutions. These are investments in banks, credit unions, community loan funds that provide capital for small business loans in low-income neighborhoods, capital for health centers, community centers, daycare centers, and programs to provide capital for first-time homebuyers, senior housing, and other affordable housing programs. And overseas, 
microfinance loans continue to grow. The Calvert Foundation is an almost 30-year 501c3 foundation that has offered community investments in all these areas with notes that you and I can invest in for as little as $1,000. The Calvert Foundation provides loans to over 260 organizations in the U.S. and around the world. These investments have proven to be very safe. No one has ever lost a dollar of their investment at the Calvert Foundation and returned extremely high positive social impact with modest returns. And the Calvert notes can be even held in retirement accounts like IRAs. Community investing is a very proactive way to empower and enable poor people and poor communities to improve their lives. And it certainly allows investors a way to become partners with the poor instead of just givers to the poor. Gotcha. What kinds of investments do your clients get most excited about? Without a doubt, it is the investments where they can see tangible, positive impact on people's lives and communities and on caring for the planet. For example, the CRA fund is a mutual fund that invests exclusively in affordable housing, housing for first-time home buyers, rental housing, senior housing, affordable green housing, plus community health centers and more. And that return on this fund has been a conservative but market rate return. And investing in fair trade companies has been another favorite when, when it's appropriate. And they ensures that developing world farmers get a livable wage for their crops and products. I've worked with Equal Exchange, the largest 100% fair trade coffee and chocolate company in the U.S. for over 10 years. Because one, they pay a consistent 5% dividend while ensuring that the farmers get a fair price for their products. An equal exchange, a worker-owned cooperative, works hard with their farmers to help them to be good stewards of the land that they farm so that the land will continue to be productive for the farmers now and for future generations. And I mentioned microfinance has also been a very popular investment option among my clients for many years. Microfinance was popularized by the Nobel Prize winner Muhammad Yunus and it pro- that provides much needed capital to millions of very poor people around the world who have never had access to capital. The loans that can be as small as $25 or even less provide a means for many people, mostly women, to start a variety of income-producing enterprises that can change the lives of the borrowers. Most of my clients choose to take a below-market return of 1% or 2% because they know that microfinance empowers people to support their families and often enable children to go to school for the first time. Hmm. Are there ways to invest in projects that we could consider part of our environmental stewardship, like caring for God's creation? Absolutely. Clients we have almost all get excited about investments in alternative energy like solar, wind, hydro. And there are a number of mutual funds and companies directly that you can invest in these kinds of things. We can even invest now in organic farmland when appropriate for the investor. Several of my clients have recently invested in Iroquois Valley Farms, a company that buys organic farmland and leases it 
to establish family farmers and new young farmers. And the Iroquois Valley Farms gives those farmers a chance to buy the land after they have leased for seven years. Now, many of our clients believe in organic farming for the positive impact it has on their family's diets and on enriching the soil instead of dumping chemical fertilizers and herbicides and pesticides on it. All right. Thank you. You know, I often hear people say that social investments don't give as high a return. So instead, we should just invest more conventionally, make as much as we can from our investments, and then give more money away. I'm guessing you've heard that too, uh, and I'm curious how you respond to that point of view. Well, social investments do get competitive returns, and you don't have to necessarily give away return. And numerous academic studies have proven that fact over the past decades. It's getting better. It's still not where it should be with the knowledge, but it's better. The Domini Social Index, the oldest social U.S. stock index that tracks screen stocks, has performed slightly better than the well-known S&P 500, a, a, a widely recognized U.S. stock index, over the, over the past 25 years. Up markets, down markets, all those. Done well, social screens do not have to negatively impact your returns. Now, most of my clients choose to invest a portion of their money in community investments in community investments for the high social impact and take a lower return, but, but that's done by choice, not out of necessity. If an investor can do, do as well with social investments as with non-social investments, then why would I need to consider investing conventionally and, quote, giving away more? In addition, those non-social investments can be contributing to the very problems we give away money to alleviate. And I have a personal story that I'd like to share with you that, that would illustrate this. Back in the early 1980s, I was doing a magazine article on the misuse of infant formula that I'd mentioned earlier. In the third world, because of overly aggressive marketing of powdered infant formula in areas where clean water was hard to come by. A missionary doctor in the area told me of the daily stream into their hospital of babies with diarrhea and hydration, dehydration from the infant formula mixed with dirty water. Then in some research of the investment portfolio of the same missionary agency that had sent this missionary doctor, I discovered the agency held the stock of the very companies that were creating the problem the missionary doctor was sent to combat. Oh, wow. After that experience, the idea of making more with conventional investments than giving away more just did not make sense in my book. Hmm. Why not invest socially and give away more and empower the poor to take care of themselves at the same time? Wouldn't that be better? <laughs> yes, but now you're not against companies making a profit, are you? Not at all. Profit is a good thing and is needed. Growth and commerce cannot go on without it. And we certainly want our clients' investments to do well. I'm just saying we need to keep money in perspective. Profit is a good thing, but it cannot be the only thing. It cannot be the first thing. As someone said, people and profit, people and planet before profit. In our culture, even among people of faith, we've lost that perspective. Making and spending the most money possible has become a god. A god that I call by that biblical name, Mammon. 
and mammon has two heads. One's called maximum profit, and the other is called minimum price. Maximum profit says we should earn as much as we can no matter how we do it. Minimum price says we should pay as little as we can, get by with, no matter what is fair and just to the workers. We are told that if we will just focus on these two things, maximum profit, minimum price, everything else will take care of itself and everything is going to be all right. But worshiping and studying the truths of Yahweh God, the God of the Hebrew Bible and of Jesus, have revealed to us that people, the planet, and God's glorious universe are more important to Yahweh God than maximum profit or minimum price. And worshiping mammon has resulted in a polluted, dying planet and a world where there is enough for all people, but where, God, where people's greed has resulted in unbelievable inequality and suffering. Our call as the people of Yahweh God is to work towards a world where everyone has all they need to to develop into fully human children of God, and our planet can flourish. And finance will be a big part of making that happen, but priorities have to change. The good news is that we have so many options now for banking and investing in ways that meet our financial needs and answers God, answers God called on all that we are and all that we have. Hmm. So, Andy, we've talked about banking for our emergency funds. We've talked about investing our longer-term savings. What about the money we spend that's just you know out there buying what I need and want for today? How can the money I spend weigh in on the side of God's economy? I mean, just to begin, if, if you won't own shares of a company, then why would you want to buy their goods or use their services? And we have to remember that money talks. So let's talk back with our purchasing power to companies that are only interested in maximizing profit with no, with no real thought for people or planet. Because we don't have time to go into detail, I will mention two ways of spending our money that can contribute to an economy of enough for everyone. The buy local movement is growing stronger every day because research has found that money spent with local merchants tends to stay in the community. It works like this. I buy from a local merchant who pays the employees, who spend their money locally as well, and so on in a beneficial cycle. It's called a multiplier effect. And buying at minimum price, remember that God of minimum price, from a chain store or franchise results in money flowing out of town to a headquarters far away, and in the end, negatively affects jobs and other businesses in our communities. And of course, we've mentioned it on a couple of occasions, there is the growing fair trade movement that ensures that the people producing our clothes and many other products are paid a living wage for their skill and their work. Spending on our way, spending our money in a thoughtful way can require some research, but even shopping guides are widely available. And spending less so we can consume fewer of the world's resources is always a good option. Well, Andy, thank you so much for taking the time and speaking with us today. You move the connections between faith and money beyond our heads and hearts. 
and directly into the practical day-to-day choices we make. It's it's just great to be able to know that there's something we can actually do to make a difference with all our resources, not not just the amounts most of us are able to give away. So thank you, Andy. Thanks to you, Mike. It's always good to be with you and talk with you. Take care. All right. Thanks. Our next guest is actually making that difference, putting his faith, values, and money to work through his banking and investment choices. Jim Marsh, Jr. works as a child and adolescent psychotherapist in the Washington, D.C. area and serves as a board member of a family-owned furniture company in his home state of North Carolina. Welcome, Jim. Thanks, Mike. Jim, how would you describe your vision for your money now, and what is it doing for you and for the world? My my current vision of money is one that's, that's free of shame and is more informed. And I see money as a way, an opportunity in which I can be a part of systems that work for something greater than just simply a return on investment. It becomes then greater than just my money. It becomes an investment in bettering the lives of others, mine included, which helps me sleep at night and holds me accountable for doing the most I can with what I have. And that means being educated about where my money is and what it's doing. The scripture verse in Luke chapter 12 says, to whom much is given, much is expected. It's helped me see how I can participate in freeing myself from the trappings of more and how I can be an active part in making sure I'm being faithful to God and to my brothers and sisters around me. Money is no longer soulless. It it can be a liberating thing. Hmm. Now, Jim, you were raised within a large family business. So this isn't your first venture into the world of finance. What made you consider moving some of your money into a socially screened investment? And how and when did this approach first come to your attention? Well, back in the 90s when I first invested, I didn't think about it much. It was introduced, or I was introduced, um, to some wonderful men who my father used as investment advisors. I asked few questions and trusted that the money would be safe and in good hands. And though that was certainly true, I allowed myself to be distant from the process as if the money was no longer mine. I just hoped that it would grow like some kind of arbitrary garden somewhere else. So this feeling didn't sit well with me. I came to understand that I needed help to find out how to navigate these financial waters, as it were, to know more and to have a better understanding of what the money could do. I met you and Andy in the Faith and Money Network family, began listening and praying and reading more about how I can be more aware of what money means to me and how that money's invested. As I became more curious as to what that money was doing when it was out of my sight, I met people who had questions and answers that made sense. It was through my involvement with folks who were asking the same questions and having safe discussions around the whole role that money plays in our lives. That was crucial to me being able to change. What were some of your concerns about social investing? Were you concerned about getting the maximum return on your investment? How has that worked out for you overall? My first concern was about how legitimate uh, these businesses were and what they did exactly. Uh, Andy helped introduce me to some, to some companies who were doing things that I value, and that's, that's what hooked me. These companies also had solid balance sheets and histories of making profits. And more importantly for me, they were doing things that I really respected and admired. 
the return on investment in many of the businesses in which I'm invested is as solid as any non-socially screened investment. Yet the emotional return on investment for me as a Christian is much, much greater and more fulfilling and in line with the things that I care about most. And what about, were, were there some concerns about conventional investing? What were the issues you were trying to avoid supporting through your investments? Or, or maybe what were you not able to support through conventional investing that you can now? I mentioned a bit early, uh, earlier the whole not knowing what exactly my investment was doing, for whom and to whom. It was kind of in a, a black hole. I had no idea who, other than me, was benefiting from it or being heard from it. I asked myself the questions, are these things in concert with what I value and believe? Um, I didn't want to have my money in places that discriminated against anyone or in a company that wasn't concerned with their employees making a living wage. The places where I'm currently invested are interested in maintaining the integrity of their employees as well as providing products and services that help others. Mm -hmm. Hey, folks, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, stay with us. This is Faith and Money Making the Connection. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. When you make decisions, do you ever find yourself in doubt? Are you trying to figure out what's right with you? Are you ready to truly change your life? Listen for the Access Consciousness Radio Show with the founders of Access Consciousness, Gary Douglas and Dr. Dane Here, Consciousness is all about including everything and judging nothing. Our program will help you break free from your personal limitations and enhance positive change in all areas of your life. Tune in to Access Consciousness, Thursdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Ready for a unique two-show-in-one package? Check out Life's Journey with Tim Manson, the 7-Minute Motivator. On the one part, we're all about changing minds, one heart at a time. Tim will show you how to overcome struggles in your life and come out winning, as Tim is overcoming his struggle with MS. On the flip side, Tim will show you how the power and spirit of the horse and equine-assisted learning programs can inspire and empower you to take that winning edge to a new level. It really is two shows in one. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com listening to Faith and Money, Making the Connection with Mike Little. To find out more about us, please visit our website at faithandmoneynetwork.org. That's faithandmoneynetwork.org. Now back to Mike Little and this week's show. Uh, Jim, have you considered the impact of where you bank? Yes. Yes, yes, I have. I, I left a large U.S. bank and, and now have my checking account in a small bank here in D.C. that provides local business loans and other services for my community. And they're, they're committed to the community, not simply to the, to the bottom line. So it was good for me to find out that my old bank supported and greatly benefited from payday lenders and check cashing places that capitalize you know, on those who are underbanked or don't have a bank at all. So I'm glad to be away from that type of business investment. Gotcha. 
I know that anytime we uh, have a long-held habit, like how we handle our money, it can be tough to make a change. Uh, I'm curious what motivated you to move from that kind of general desire to the specific, specific action of actually moving your money. Was it difficult? Well, about 10 years ago, I learned that I was invested in a company whose business practices I didn't agree with. So I asked that that be changed, but didn't have many clues as to where um, it might go. The only difficult part was summoning the courage to say to these wonderful men, one of, one of whom is a friend, uh, I need to move towards having my money in socially screened investments. And these men understood and respected my decision. And then it was a matter of finding someone who knew how to invest in the way that was more true to who I was becoming and what change I could make for others. I became more enlightened and involved in the process. and It wasn't difficult at all. It inspired me and um, empowered me. Hmm. Tell us, how is a screened investment approach more consistent with your faith than if you were not looking at your portfolio that way? The scriptures say that what's done in the dark will be shown in the light. And though it may be a misuse of the particular scripture here, but the language is helpful to me in this way. What I didn't know about my investments was darkness, and what I now know is light. We need to have more light these days. Illuminating the things we need to address and work on and having a light that can guide us. I feel like I moved uh, into a place where I'm being proactive, fully involved, instead of reactive and distant or separate. I'm participating, not just watching. So what would you tell someone who's thinking about investing in a socially screened or community investment, maybe for the first time? Do you have any advice for them? Well, first of all, it's not scary. Uh, We're scary as people think. The first thing would be to talk to someone who specializes in socially screened or community investing to start the exploration. It should feel good, you know, make sure it's legit and that it is a solid investment. I I had a surprising experience with a solar company in Colorado. Part of the process of investing money was that they interviewed me Hmm. and they cared about me as an investor. I wanted to see if my values were in line with their values. And so a relationship developed, which brought it even closer to home. felt like they cared more as much about me as my money. This personal connection was priceless to me. So you've got to make sure you feel good about who you're invested with. So with this uh, move you've made, how has it changed how you feel about your own money? Well, I'm, I'm now more confident that the money I've invested is helping to build better worlds for people, including mine. I'm free from feeling shame or being ignorant about money or where it's going. It's about knowing what this money is doing and feeling a sense of responsibility and pride that I'm doing the right thing for me and for others. Jim, we uh, really appreciate your openness about your money-related decisions and vision. So we can learn from your experience of being proactive and intentional with your investments in banking. Your sense of serving others as well as yourself with your money is something to aspire to. So thank you so much for joining us. No, thank you, Mike. You know, being able to talk about money is important in discovering what we really believe about issues of money and faith and for moving forward. Taking practical steps to shape our money decisions to reflect the deeply held values of our faith. 
Do you have people with whom you can talk about your relationship to money? We encourage you to cultivate a friendship or small group where you can be open and can continue your explorations of the connection between your money and your faith. We at Faith and Money Network are also available to be a part of your community. I'd love to hear where you are on the journey and how we can support you. Just send me an email, mike at faithandmoneynetwork.org. For longer, deeper conversations, we offer money mentoring, personal listening, time, and spiritual accompaniment that we all need to be able to live into our vision of an economy with enough for everyone. From our trips of perspective to our written resources, in money mentoring conversations, and in our workshops and sermons, Faith and Money Network helps people move and grow in three fundamental ways. Together, we shift from a mentality of scarcity, a sense that I can never have enough or do enough or be enough, to a mentality of abundance, a sense that I am deeply loved and provided for by God and God's people. Together, we grow from limited to total solidarity as we move from I love my family to now my family is bigger. This is the breadth of solidarity that makes us read the newspaper differently than we used to, knowing that these people we're reading about are my friends now and they have touched me. And please hear this one because it's crucial. Together, we must move from general desires to specific actions. We need to understand ideas and situations, of course, but all the knowledge in the world without action is the proverbial, or should I say, 1 Corinthian clanging gong. As powerfully phrased by Kentucky farmer, poet, and activist Wendell Berry, a change of heart or of values without a practice is only another pointless luxury of a passively consumptive way of life. So, what specific actions can we take to begin to put the money we don't give away to work in the world? Now, I wouldn't usually consider reading and studying to be an action step because studying is still in our heads, but the ideas shared today are likely to be so new to most of us that in this case, reading is a challenging action step. An article called Putting Your Money Where Your Values Are is available as a free download from our website, faithandmoneynetwork.org. Written by Andy Loving, the article further explains why it matters where we bank and invest and buy. It gives specific examples of the range of possibilities that now exist for people to leverage the money we don't give away on behalf of others. And it points to additional resources for people who want to learn more. A second action step is to commit to buy a fair trade product regularly. Choose whatever you like coffee, tea, chocolate, olive oil, or any other fair trade product available in your community. If it costs a little more than your usual brand, can you consider that a gift to the person who grew or made that product? Is it a measure of justice in sharing a tiny portion of your abundance with someone who has far less? By choosing what to buy and from whom to buy, we can build God's economy of enough for all through the money we spend from our own needs and wants. Our challenge step today is to move some money. Choose something appropriate for you and move some money. You can move your checking account from a big corporate bank to a community bank. 
or even better, to a community development financial institution where your deposits will be loaned to people in low-income communities who are working to improve their lives. It's surprisingly difficult for some people to change where and how they bank, but as you are making the transition, you can know you are standing with the poor as Jesus did. Explore socially screened investments and the higher impact community investments. What might be possible for you for the money you don't give away? We invite you to learn more about us on our website, faithandmoneynetwork.org, and sign up to receive our newsletter by email. Let us know about your joys and challenges by sending me an email at mike at faithandmoneynetwork.org. We will be praying for your work and ask that you pray for ours as well. That's part of being community together in this adventure of faith. Thank you for sharing this time with us today. You are now part of the Faith and Money Network, joining together to live into God's economy of enough for all, of solidarity and of action grounded in love. Blessings on the journey. Thank you for joining us this week on Faith and Money, Making the Connection. Please tune in again next Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time, for another edition with your host, Mike Little, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Take a step this week to let your faith shape your money choices. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.